Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast, where we're all about commander, data, and dad jokes. My name is Joey Schultz, and I'm joined as always by my fantastic co-hosts. Up first, he's going to build a Yargle and Multani deck, and also probably a Yargle and a Multani deck. It's Matt Morgan. So Joey, I recently learned that Michael Jackson never drank coffee, but then it kind of makes sense because he is the king of pop. <laughs> Gotta get that caffeine in there somewhere. Yep. That is king of, king of Mountain doing it. That 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 is less excellent. All right, we're going to move on. Okay, Up next, he hopes that Wizards of the Coast makes a commander pair for the most classic famous duo, Chandler and Joven. It's Dana Roach. Uh, why didn't Han Solo enjoy his steak dinner? Oh, no. It was too chewy? Was it too chewy? It was, it was too chewy. Well played, I have learned how to there. dad joke. I'm <laughs> so proud of... I'm, I'm, I'm proud of me. I might even get a challenge the stats segue in this episode <laughs> if, we're, if we're lucky. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. <laughs> All right. Well, what is it that we're actually talking about in this episode then, Dana? What are we doing? We're talking about cards that aren't bad anymore. <laughs> yeah, these cards got good. <laughs> That's the the a, a nice way to phrase it. Yeah, cards that maybe were kind of like whatever in the past, but now with recent commander trends and different shifts in the overall EDH oeuvre or meta or whatever, these cards definitely deserve another look because they have new synergies to unlock. It should be pretty interesting to get into. But before we get there, we've got some shout outs to do. First, we want to thank Chase, also known as Mana Curves, for their help in editing the show. You can find them on Twitter at Mana Curves. EDH Rec has partnered with Coalesce Apparel and Design, makers of the best magic merch you'll ever find. Use code EDHREC for 10% off any order at Coalesce. Their apparel is slick and stylish. We, of course, recommend the EDH Rec collection. And there are tons of others you can check out, like their new Riptide project or their Keeping It 100 collections, too, with really fun designs. So once again, that's code EDHREC for 10% off your order. And if you'd like to support the show, you can do so by liking and subscribing this video on YouTube. You can subscribe on your local podcast app, or you can go to patreon.com slash EDHRETCAST to get yourself a nice little benefit for also supporting the show that way, too. Those patron perks include the weekly and most coveted shout out, which we're going to give this week to Annie Nelson. So, Annie, thank you so much. Uh, you Nelson Don over there. I I got nothing here for you. But <laughs> oh, oh no, the, I've got it, Matt. I've got this one. You had a Michael Jackson joke earlier, and we have to say, Annie, are you okay? That is where the silly Patreon shout out joke goes to. Joey, you are one smooth criminal with those <laughs> those puns, and I I enjoy it. So nice job, and thank you, Annie. I was sure Joey was gonna go with bet your bottom dollar that tomorrow, but um, the Michael Jackson <laughs> reference is pretty good too. Or she could go all Annie Oakley on somebody. <laughs> face there we too go. and just wreck so it. So many options. We, we are uh, men of many talents here, as you Thanks, can see. Thanks, Annie. <laughs> Thanks, Annie, so much. <laughs> we really do appreciate your support so, so much. Okay, let us get into our episode. And yeah, Dana, as you said, we're talking about cards that aren't bad anymore. Cards that got good. And if it's all right with you guys, I kind of want to open with an example here that has caught my eye. The uh, the card that I think has really improved over time recently is the card Twinning Staff. Matt, do you remember this one from Ikoria? I remember that it is a card with a name, <laughs> and it's an artifact with a mana value. But that's all I remember about it, because this card, I'm sure I've seen it, but I also just don't remember what it does. Yeah, Twinning Staff is the three mana. It does have a mana value. Congratulations. Artifact, you were right about that. Dang, um, I'm on fire. <laughs> And it says, if you would copy a spell one or more times, instead copy it that many times, plus an additional time, and you can choose new targets for the additional copy. And also it has an activated ability that costs seven mana and tap it to copy an instant or sorcery spell that you control, and you can do, choose new targets for that copy too. I've never actually seen anyone activate that <laughs> activated ability on Twinning Staff. But I feel like when this card initially came out, the interesting part of it here was... I feel like for years, we only ever saw cards like Twincast and Wild Ricochet, all those things that only ever copied instants and sorceries. So Twinning Staff is like interesting with those cards for sure. But the thing that I think has really made it take off is the conception of newer cards like Volo, for example, mm. where now we're fully copying like creature spells. We're fully copying permanent spells. There are cards like Double Major that also copy the things that you cast. And then those copies become a token when they resolve from the stack. 
back. And so its winning staff has a whole new life to it these days after Wizards of the Coast has branched into a new area of design. And so I want to put forth Twinning Staff as a card that has really improved over the past couple of years. Yeah, it's one of those cards that at the time felt like it was just on the edge of being really, really good, but there wasn't like that thing to push over the top unless you were playing in that specific, you know, Cal Max kind of deck or something. But it's just gotten generally better. There's just enough copy stuff floating around there that isn't contingent necessarily on a specific commander or strategy that it's gotten way more playable in a whole bunch more decks. Yeah, it was just not good enough for long enough that people kind of moved on from it. But yeah, it's it's actually just a very like if people saw it for the first time today, like, oh, okay, yeah, that's that's great. That's awesome. Cool. So yeah, I, I get it. Yeah. And we've just got so many other interesting things that are being copied these days. Ivy Gleeful Spell Thief isn't just copying instants and sorceries. You know, that is also copying like auras that you play or Verizol is copying any kicked spell. So Twinning Staff is going to do excellent work there. Uh, Volo I mentioned earlier. Gorion Wise Mentor is copying your adventure stuff. And yeah, there's literally anything from Strixhaven. <laughs> there's, yeah, very much. Yeah. So there's a whole new life for this card. And so that is one that I think is really improved. And I think think that that's really neat and that's one of my submissions but now one of you guys needs to take it what other cards have gotten better lately the one that jumps out at me and i guess i, I will throw this caveat out there first we're kind of using cards that aren't bad anymore in, in like an overly dramatic way <laughs> these cards weren't ever bad putting stuff wasn't bad it just like wasn't good enough in a broad enough amount of decks really mm. The, the cards we're talking about next, particularly like revel in riches jumps out at me revel riches wasn't a bad card it just wasn't backbreaking the way it is right now. I was I jumped on board the Revel and Riches train right away and put it in a couple of different decks because I just thought it was fun. Like, oh, stuff will die. I'll make some treasures. Treasures are cool. Maybe in a perfect situation, I'll wind up winning a game because of it. And I remember playing it very early on, you know, that first year or two um, after it was released. And the reaction when I would play it was very much, okay, so we've got several turns. People could absolutely see when it was going to be a threat and they would respond when it became a threat. That's not how that works anymore. <laughs> there are so many things that make treasures that you can no longer look at Revel and Riches and say, oh, well, we probably have three turns on that, that becomes something we have to worry about. Revel and Riches hits the field. People have to immediately worry that you are somehow going to have enough treasures to win the game when it hits your upkeep. It's just changed. That's, that's something that's gotten radically different because of the amount of treasures that have gotten pumped into the game. Yeah, Revel and Riches, when it was first printed, was just a value engine and maybe you occasionally won. It pretty much flipped ever since then, though, uh, because it used to be like Ixalan was the only set that really gave you anything that was going to make treasures. And so because of that, there, it was just very limited support. It's kind of like energy. But then treasures got a lot more support, which means Revel and Riches just got incrementally better over time a card that i would put in the same category as revel riches to me is the backbone of cards that nobody cared about when it was first printed and now everybody's like well yeah duh it's a good card but there was a time folks when marionette master was not an all-star and <laughs> it's it's really hard to believe and i know i challenged this card in a challenge of stats segment very recently and that's fine i, I stand by my challenge for that deck but overall Marionette Master is a fantastic freaking card. The more treasures we've gotten, four black black for an artifact that has Fabricate three. But the important part, whatever an artifact you control is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, including token artifacts, target opponent loses life equal to Marionette Master's power. Joey, tell me why this card is so good, because... I don't need to keep preaching about it. The, this card is so good that I want to go back in time two weeks ago to went to that episode that I wasn't on for your challenge of stats and and argue against your challenge of stats because I really like this card a whole lot and I don't think it's overplayed in any deck. I love this thing so much and I have used it in so many ways to just just obliterate people and yeah this is genuinely one of the scarier cards that i think you can see in black decks or especially in rakdos decks that are making excellent use of so many treasures but i mean the treasure discussion i think amplifies tons of different cards in the format like i used to kind of view Mazarek kral death priest as like Oh, that, that prince that got away and I could never really do a whole lot with him. <laughs> whenever you sacrifice a permanent, put a plus one counter on... Excuse me, no, whenever a permanent is sacrificed, whenever anyone sacrifices a permanent, you get a plus one counter on all of your stuff. 
and now with everyone blowing up the artifacts all over the place i am just oh he it's just it is not uncommon for me to drop this and then instantly everything's got like a plus seven boost i there there are so many cards that synergize with these things that long ago just for kind of eh, you know when, when masaryk first came out he was kind of like ah, oh, that's cute but you know what's really taking our attention is marin so we're not going to pay masaryk too much mind yep um so yeah a whole bunch of these cards have way improved from all that sacrifice well, and it's not just the things that take advantage of treasures. It's the things people now run to deal with other folks running treasures. <laughs> I, I would wager three three years ago, if you asked the average commander player what Viridian Revel was, <laughs> yeah, 19 yeah. out of 20 people would have no idea that card even existed. Today, I, I would wager the vast majority of commander players know what Viridian Revel is if if they're not just running it in a deck already to deal with treasures. Similarly, Titania Song. Like that would that's a card that hasn't seen a reprint in forever. I don't know how long I, I had gone without ever seeing it. And I've, I see them, I see a tiny Titania song in a deck once a month at least after not seeing it for five to six years at a stretch before. Viridian's Revel is showing up in 8,600 decks nowadays, and that is a big improvement <laughs> compared to where it used to be. Yeah, it, it's just, it's so weird seeing a card that's played in almost 50,000 decks like some of these are. And we're saying, once upon a time, children... This card wasn't very good. Well, Revel and Riches is straight up 10 bucks now. Like, I remember when it was 10 cents. Like, <laughs> I, I, I used- bought so many. I, I opened a pre release copy because back when that set was released, you got a pre release promo. It was just some random rare or mythic. The dates, the date stamped one. Yeah, the date yeah. stamped ones. Mm-hmm. That was my promo, and I was sad about it. I don't even know where that card is anymore. <laughs> I feel like I used to view that card in the same way that I view like Grave Betrayal, which is that seven mana uh, black enchantment that has an effect when your opponent's creatures dies, you get them. Mm-hmm. And I love Grave Betrayal, but I could never really justify it. And I used to view Revel and Riches the same way because I'm like, ah, I can't really justify it. I'm not actually going to get a whole lot of benefit because I can't rely upon making my opponent's non-token creatures die or, or whatever like that. And nowadays it's just like, I don't need anyone to die. I have fully like got my own stuff. Dana's Jury deck, which is like making all of its own treasures. It doesn't need a single opponent to exist for that to just have 10 treasures by the time he casts it it's absolutely bonkers and there are so many amazing cards that have improved that way like do y'all remember fangren marauder nope that green common from like new phyrexia or mirrodin besieged no this is another one that i actually think is kind of low-key amazing in today's meta fangren marauder is a six mana five five beast whenever an artifact is put into a graveyard from the battlefield you may gain five life like if you're playing a willow dusk deck or any green life gain deck that's actually enormous no, it, it's yeah, it's it's just amazing how the the game changing because of new cards coming into the meta just changes what uh, the the potency of some of these cards. And it's not just cards that change; strategies change too as as things happen. Um, fogs, for example, <laughs> fogs have always been useful. Like I've, I think all of us have probably at at one point or another over the years, you know, just put a some fog variant in all our decks. Um, but the efficacy of those today compared to where they were, you know, five, six years ago is totally different. It's, it's something that when I brew a deck, I, I, it's like almost a category of something I do. I'm like, okay, do I have a couple fog type effects to deal with some ginormous alpha strike? And that's not something I really maybe thought about three or four years ago. I mean, I personally would like to take credit for Arachnogenesis <laughs> being as expensive as it is. So if you've watched twitch.tv slash EDH Retcast, where we stream every Wednesday evening, <laughs> I've cast that card maybe to like something of like twelve to the seventeenth power of, of, of <laughs> it's times. It's it's just a very very powerful card. So not only does it fog, it prevents an alpha striker. You have somebody just trying to go over the top, but it creates you an army. So if somebody goes wide, you get to just return fire even wider, and also you you fogged all their creatures. You prevented any of their creatures from dealing damage. So. It's an ins- it's just such a silly, silly, powerful card. And the whole category, I agree, with how much more power they've been putting into card, just the average card lately, combat has become that much more tenuous and alpha strikes are more common and being able to prevent it, it's a, it's a huge deal. That really feels like the, the cadence or the tempo to me is that like, I, I don't know that I see a whole lot of swings in for just chip damage here and there compared to like the slower quote unquote days of of the format the earlier days of just like i hit you for just an occasional six or seven or whatever like now it is fully like you're when you're being attacked when a person feels safe enough to attack and leave themselves open to someone else hitting them it's usually because it's a dramatically big strike it is going to be a 
Pathbreaker Ibexed up to its eyeballs type of strike that is going to hit you for 20 plus, 30 plus, 40 plus. And so, yeah, like we all know that like Ink Shield, that, that's always been like, oh, that is a, a huge type of a fog. But even little ones like from long ago, like Batwing Broom, for example, that's a an Orzov fog. Mm-hmm. I really have grown to appreciate that one so much more over time because it isn't just stopping me from losing like six to 10 damage or whatever from a random attack. Batwing Broom could literally save my life and also just totally annihilate the person who was attacking me because Batwing Broom can make them lose life for each creature that was attacking me if I pay the right type of mana. And like if someone's going to attack me these days, it's not with necessarily just like two creatures. Sometimes it's with 40 of them and this could be a lethal swing. And that's a card that I never paid attention to ages ago. Long gone are the days where your win condition was hope you had a 4-4 when someone was at three. <laughs> so so you have this 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 shift in in how big those alpha strikes are, along with people rediscovering both old fogs with upside and them printing new fogs with upside, like the ink shield that you mentioned, or the arachnogenesis that you mentioned, Batwing Broom being an old one that has has come back in. Or, you know, functionally Teferi's protection works like a fog if you want to cast it that way. So like not only has has the way the combat step changed, but the way fogs work have gotten have increased the amount of upside attached to those cards too versus just gassing out of combat. See, I think Dana took my advice when he wasn't here when we had an episode where I said, if somebody plays an eight drop, you play a nine drop. Dana <laughs> right. said, you play a nine drop. I'm going to play a five mana Aether Spouts and just mess up your entire <laughs> yeah. day. So right. that, that's where fogs come into play. It doesn't matter how big the threat is. Yeah. Fogs are just going to get you around that for a turn and, and give you a chance to find another answer. Mm-hmm. Just straight up the one mana darkness is just like, yeah, that could actually be the exact thing that puts you into a position to crack back on your opponents because you just had an unexpected one mana. Eh, no, the combat doesn't happen this turn. And when you were gearing up, when you were overwhelming stampeding, when you were doing a whole bunch of stuff for this to be one big epic game finishing combat, well, one mana just completely undoes you. And that is a different thing than I remember with like a lot of combats that were just like, oh, you know, there's it's going to take like 15 turns for this game to end because some people are slamming in for 10 or whatever. Like, yeah, the, the, there's more of an alpha strike-ness uh, to my experience in Commander these days. And these these fogs have just way increased in value over time for me as a result of that. Dana, I kind of want to direct this next question to you, because in addition to this observation of fogs increasing their potency, I almost want to ask if we would say that like combat tricks in general have mattered more these days. And I ask you this because you had an entire deck just based off of combat tricks. Um, so I, I kind of want to get your take on that. And Matt, I know you love the combat step. We'll get to you in a second. I do. I do. <laughs> yeah, definitely. That's definitely changed as well. Because like that wasn't something when, when I look at my combat tricks deck, um, which which is an is it color? So I'm running quite a few red things that like an instant speed buff creatures or or double the amount of damage they deal. Um, most of those cards are relatively new. So you know, once upon a time, your idea of combat tricks was buffing a single creature. You know, plus three, plus three. Maybe give it plus three, plus two. Maybe give it you know plus three, plus oh. Oh, sure, you could stack a couple of those and you could copy a couple of them, but like. The ceiling on that was relatively low, but we've gotten so many more ways to to do things that double damage, whether it's, you know, instant speed double strike tricks, like with Embercleave, for example, Mm -hmm. or or straight up ways just to double the damage you have. Like there's a couple different red versions of Berserk, kind of like Fatal Frenzy or Unleash Fury. And there's also a, a lot more copy spells available in in various colors too things that like let you not only cast that unleash fury that doubles the power of a creature well there's just way more options to then copy that spell things like twinferno like twinning staff exactly twinning <laughs> staff there you go perfect yeah. so so it's just the, the the amount of those cards that let you kind of exploit those strategies has changed as well and it's it's turned the one off you know, rush of blood kind of effect that you, you had the option to do that one time, but it wasn't enough to build around it. Well, once you have three or four of those options, then you then you want to run that card way more than you did a few years back. Mm. Well, in two days, like there are ways to just copy one or two spells, but then there's also the the big, we're just going to go massively over the top type of copying spells too. So thousand year storm that just gets incrementally more and more powerful or swarm intelligence those are all ways to just chain together all of those combat tricks. So, okay, I'm going to spend four mana, but I'm going to cast nine spells. It's that type of efficiency that is suddenly in the format that, yeah, you can play combat tricks that aren't just a, okay, I have my Shu Yun one punch man deck 
and that's really it. That's the whole format's worth of of combat trick decks. Right now, you have a whole swath of them, which is for me very, very exciting. Yeah, that's way true. The redundancy and the other ways you can manipulate them these days makes a whole lot of sense. And I, I don't know. I just I feel like this this is a whole genre that I appreciate more and more as Commander goes on and as combat becomes more and more of that alpha strikey nature. Like I, I don't know. I remember seeing the card Teamer Battle Rage. It, like when it first came out back in cons and being kind of like, eh, you know, it's, it's it's nice as a common, but I don't know if it's like that good. And nowadays, like it's just legitimately a game ender. I'd be terrified to see a team or battle rage in a game because it really can just absolutely end things. And so that's just a, a another type of thing. Those combat tricks in general that uh, have, have seemed to me to get a whole lot more important. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just one of those things like when when nobody is prepared for it, being able to just segue into challenge of stats is absolutely one of those Oh, there it is. Oh, there. I, I appreciate I, this, Dana. This, this, this was well played. Um, that actually, stealing a challenge of stats segue has never been bad. It's always right. been, always, always been delightful. One of the best things you can do in a game of Commander. Yes. Holy crap, that was the most... I just got owned so bad, and it was the most glorious thing ever. Dana, you win. You win the entire year of 2023. <laughs> Listeners, we're, we're, we're going to challenge some of that data on EDHREC, but we got to take a break. We will be right back. Joey's stuck in his own personal thousand-year storm. <laughs> <laughs> well, since Joey's stuck in his own thousand-year storm of having the segue stolen from him, I'm going to lead us off with Challenge of Stats, and we'll we'll start with a, a card that, it's a new legend, but it's a familiar archetype. It's very similar to a deck that I have, but Ovika Enigma Goliath is one of the new Phyrexia all-will-be-one legendary creatures. It's the Is It Spellslinger Commander, so it's five in Is It Colors, so a blue and a red for a legendary Phyrexian Nightmare with Flying and Ward 3 and Pay 3 Life, so it's pretty protected. Uh, and it says, whenever you cast a non-creature spell, create X11 Phy red Phyrexian goblin creature tokens where X is the mana value of that spell. They gain haste until end of turn. So I have a Balmor captain deck and it is a spell slinger extraordinary. It makes a lot of tokens and then it goes wide and I cast all these awesome, super fun spells that are going to push my creatures over the top, like surge to victory and all these things. But then as I realized... Oh my gosh, I'm playing all these like big spells that are going to make a bunch of big tokens. If you want to go wide, Ovika is amazing and a card that I think is absolutely silly in this type of deck that is getting no love whatsoever is Hordling Outburst. So Hordling Outburst is one red red for a source that says you create three one one red goblin creature tokens. So with all of these different impact tremors, perforos, god of the forge type of effects that you have in this deck... Hordling Outburst with Ovika in play makes six tokens, which is six damage to all of your opponents with Impact Tremors, 12 with Perforos. And I just think that all these dragon fodder type of cards are just absolutely fantastic if that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to make a go wide type of strategy. You're playing Battle Him that's going to add mana for all the creatures you control. You have Goblin Bombardment to throw them at players. And also, if you're playing stuff like Surge to Victory, you can cast it, exile your Hordling Outburst, give all your creatures plus three plus O, oh, and then one of those creatures deal damage, you're going to make another army of creatures. That's such a just wonderful card. Plus, it's never a bad card to cast. You just cast on turn three, you get three blockers, buys you time to get to seven mana, which in Is It Colors can be a little difficult, I'll admit. I just absolutely love this deck. It's my type of Is It deck, and I would so much rather play... Hordling Outburst than your fifth copy of a young Pyromancer type of effect. I think that you can hit a cap on that, whereas mm. just play just play instance of sorceries that also make tokens, because that's where you're really gonna be able to go super wide with Ovika decks. So only nine percent of decks are playing Hordling Outburst so far. I think that number is just kind of silly how low that is. Uh, that number should be significantly higher, folks. Highly recommend this card. Really leaning into the non-creature clause on the commander. That's very clever. Oh, yeah. I used Hordling Outburst when I had my Martin Stromgald deck as well. And yeah, getting those bodies was very, very important. Yeah. So big appreciation on that one. I, I think I'm finally maybe slightly recovered from that absolutely just brutal segue of Dana's that has absolutely ended me. <laughs> so I'm going to move into our listener submitted challenge here, which comes to us from at Sad Swordsman, also known as Dawson DeMars, who has a very fun challenge here for a 
deck that I actually happen to have myself in, I am definitely going to give this card a try. So Dawson points out that the uh, the commander Yannette Cryptic Sovereign, which can play stuff for free off the top of your deck if it has an odd converted mana cost, this is an Esper commander. So yes, Dawson acknowledges that Esper already has plenty of amazing removal out there. But one that he just thinks this could get an extra look is the card Dead Reckoning, a three mana black sorcery. You can put target creature card from your graveyard on top of your library. And if you do, Dead Reckoning deals damage equal to that creature's power to target creature. So this could snipe an opponent's creature and also put one of your amazing nine drops from your graveyard right back onto the battlefield and then, well, onto the top of your deck, but then you're going to attack with the net and that's going to slap it onto the battlefield. And that just sounds like a whole lot of fun to me. So yeah, Dawson, I'm going to give this one a try. This is a very spicy pick that shows up in less than 1% of Yannette decks, and I think that there's a lot of fun stuff you could pull off with this card for sure. For our last challenge here today, I'm going to talk about the card Resourceful Defense. Uh, it's an enchantment, two and a white. Whenever a permanent you control leaves a battlefield, if it had counters on it, put those counters on target permanent you control. Um, it also says for four and a white, move any number of counters from target permanent you control to another target permanent you control. It's in 10,000 decks in EDH rack, but if you go down the list of the decks that's in, it's almost exclusively creature-based counter decks. So decks that deal with plus one counters or decks like Perry the Pulverizer or Falco Spara that care about you know, all the different like strange ability counters that we got in the last couple of years. Where the card needs to see way more play is in Planeswalker-based decks, because it doesn't just deal with moving counters between creatures, it also will deal with loyalty counters on Planeswalkers. And while if you minus a Planeswalker to do an ability, those counters aren't being moved over to it, or if it gets hit, that doesn't really move counters. Where that is ridiculously useful is moving all of the loyalty counters from one Planeswalker onto another one when people weren't prepared for you to have the ability to ult a Planeswalker. It's been backbreaking whenever I've done it. That's one of the things people tend to do playing against Planeswalker decks is kind of mentally keep track of when they have to worry about that backbreaking ult going off and the ability to change that math and, and in the case of resourceful defense, radically change it sometimes by swinging like five, six, seven counters from one planeswalker to the next totally changes the face of the game. And it's seeing almost zero play in planeswalker decks. So if you are playing some kind of a super friends list and you have access to white, take a look at resourceful defense, being able to spend five mana to move counters around like that changes the game. That's cool stuff, Dana. I think we had a challenge many, many months ago uh, from a listener about uh, using this in Saga decks as well, but I really like it for Planeswalkers too, because you're just finding new ways to ult those things in a completely unexpected way, almost as unexpected as your challenge, the stats segues, <laughs> which is perfectly fine, by the way, and I'm not taking it personally <laughs> that I haven't gotten to segue to challenge the stats for like four months now. It's perfectly okay and normal to be upset about this, right? Right? Someone help me. <laughs> it, it, it's not okay. It You'll get over it eventually. <laughs> Oh, goodness. What a weird in-joke we've stumbled into. Okay, let's get back into our topic here about some cards that have increased in potency over time. And um, I'll, I'll take this next one here because, like, Legends Matters cards have definitely been having themselves a renaissance over the past couple of years. Like, especially with that Dominaria set where we had an entire pre-con, like, with Dahada that cared about the Legends in your deck. Like, Legends Matters was a whole focus of that entire draft set. And so, like, that makes me appreciate more cards like Heroes Podium, for example, which is like a coat of arms for all of your legendary stuff. The number of cards that care about legends, I think, a long time ago was kind of eh, but now that we're getting like 50 new legendary creatures design every set, and some sets are even built around that archetype to draft around and stuff like that, like the cards that care about when you cast legendary things have really increased in power over time. Yeah, I mean, it, it's really impacted the game in a bunch of ways, the sheer amount of legends we've gotten, uh, both in terms of things like Heroes Podium, and we've talked about the the clone effects that don't really, that work around the legend rule. You know, Spark Double is really the first one that did it, but we've gotten multiple of those effects since then. Mm. Those have also gotten more necessary. At, at the time, I remember when Spark Double was released, I was like, oh, that's kind of useful. Um, 
maybe I'll copy my commander once in a while. And, and, and you would maybe run it in a deck where like it was really beneficial to have two copies of your commander. It, it's, but it's gotten to me to the point where like just in general, oftentimes in blue decks, you just accidentally have so many legends <laughs> that clone effects have gotten worse, but clone effects that ignore the legend rule have gotten way, way better. That's, that's gone from like, this kind of niche corner case upside on cards like Spark Double to being a really, really valuable upside. And, and Heroes Podium is another example of that where it, it was very niche before and it's just gotten way better because the sheer amount of things that just care about legends and ways you can build a Legends Matter deck. Well, I, I would argue even, Dana, that you say clone effects that ignore the legendary clause that's almost the expectation now. That's not even the the upside. It feels that way, uh, sure. I can't imagine. I can't remember recently seeing a clone effect that didn't have that, and thinking to myself, "That's something that I'm going to consider." Because the the amount of legendary creatures it used to be the the signpost com or signpost uncommons in a draft set. They used to be just random uncommons that kind of pointed you in the direction of what that that color combination is trying to do in the set. Now all those signpost uncommons are legendary. Yeah. And so we're getting everything. Everything seems to be getting that legendary push because they want to support commander, which double-edged sword, but that's a different topic for a different day. But yes, the, the fact that we have so many different powerful legendary creatures, well, they're just powerful creatures that happen to be legendary. It's almost the expectation now. It's not the exception that if you're going to clone something, you're going to run a clone effect, it has to ignore the legendary clause. Otherwise, you just don't want to consider it because you have so many incidental legendaries in your deck these days. Here's also an interesting metric. Like, y'all know Mirror Gallery, right? The mm -hmm. five mana artifact from, I think, uh, Betrayers of Kamigawa that just says the legend rule doesn't apply. That used to be the only effect of its kind, with, like, I guess the exception of Brothers Yamazaki, where you could technically have two Brothers Yamazaki in play at the same time, even though they were both legendary, but, like, Commander Singleton, so that never really mattered. So, for, like, the purposes of the Commander format, Mirror Gallery was the only card that said the legend rule doesn't apply on it. And now we have four total cards that actually say that. We have Kadric Soul Kindler, which also says the Legend Rule doesn't apply to tokens you control, Sakashima of a Thousand Faces, which also says the Legend Rule doesn't apply to permanents you control, and there's Mirror Box, which also buffs up your legendary creatures in addition to that. Like, that right there is just like, here, you know, for years, for a decade, we only had this one card that kind of did this weird, obscure thing, and now it's like fully a piece of design that gets explored a lot more routinely, and that's very interesting. Well, Joey, one thing that's, it's not a new area of design, it's been done several times, but it, it gets more interesting every time they revisit it is a deck that used to be kind of a meme deck and and i'm very very glad it's gotten more support lately but gates decks and specifically being able to win with maza's end hey. was something that was a complete joke for for the longest time when we saw it in dragon's maze and every time that we kind of like saw somebody trying to make gates work like the three people who are playing golos honestly were playing <laughs> gates decks because they just oh, I, I have to be able to find my gruel guild gate and i have no other way to do it and so mazes end decks have gotten significantly better balder's gate one of our favorite sets gave us so much support not just because we got another a whole another round of gates but the gate support cards we even got a commander that cares about gates and that never happened it, it's one of those weird random land types that only pops up every now and then but it's gotten enough support now that we have we have just a whole archetype there. And you don't have to play all five colors because you have enough support. You can play three colors and have a Maze's Zen deck still. And that's just, it's very satisfying to see. It's its a silly, fun way to win. And you worked really hard for that. And I'm, I gotta be happy for you. There are 21 gates now. There used to only be 10 guild mm -hmm. gates. And now there are 21 gates. <laughs> but, we, but we need them. Like even Baldur's Gate, all the support cards for the different gates decks, you can make an aggro deck with gates and it's super funny and super great and i just totally am here for it yeah i mean that, that that's the thing you know we, we talked about this with combat tricks and, and it's true with gates but it's, it's true with a lot of kind of i don't know if archetypes is the right word necessarily because i'm not sure if a, you know a snow deck is really an archetype i guess it's almost more of a mechanic but mm. a lot of this kind of stuff was it just needed more support and once it got more support and this one or the standalone thing that was difficult to build around before then it became good because it became, you had the ability to make a whole deck around it or dungeons a, a, as an archetype. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, 
know, various different like creature themes as well. There was, you know, how many people did you hear talk about trying to build a werewolf deck after the first Innistrad set and things, it was really difficult to do. And then we got a second Innistrad set with more werewolves and then a third one. And like, now it's much easier to build that. And And there's a whole bunch of different creature types where we've gotten enough different options over the years or commanders that care about them that have turned those kind of formerly standalone out on an island cards into things that are actual players in these real decks now. Well, having the daybound werewolves to be fighters of the nightbound werewolves was <laughs> right. such a such a great move. So yeah, just being able to support it. Yeah, eventually you're going to get there. I mean, I, I think back, like when I built my Sphinx deck, um, it was seven or eight years ago now, there were 19 Sphinxes in, in Commander that I could choose from, <laughs> one of which was the mono-white Petra Sphinx from back in Legends. <laughs> and now there's there's 20 times that many options to choose from. Like, and, and how many different creature types have had the same thing where, you know, back in the day you were so limited to what you can do. And now just b- between them attempting to support some of these, these creature types and archetypes and just the sheer amount of cards we've gotten that it's accidentally got support. It's just radically changed a lot of those situations. Very much. Another theme that I think also probably should get uh, a shout out for like an archetype that has improved would kind of be Mill. Like I I feel like when Bruvac the Grandiloquent came out, um, that kind of like changed the game a little bit for Mill cards because that's the one that doubles down on your mill if you would mill some cards for an opponent then instead you mill twice that many cards and i mean it appears in ten thousand decks nowadays so like i i feel like the the phoenix god of deception it used to have to always resort to like being a combo deck in order mm-hmm. to actually mill someone out mm-hmm. and nowadays if i see like bruvac in a deck i'm like oh oh no like actually that phoenix ability can chunk me for like 14 cards at a time pretty easily and i really should be scared so like mill is another one that has also gotten a lot more appreciation too yeah yeah plenty of those strategies got good redundancy or or better if bonuses you you don't need eater of the dead which nobody even knows is a card anymore (laughs) in order to combo out with with phoenix anymore so yeah just having so much more support around just random legendary creatures it's just nice to see that just incidentally so many old commanders that people wrote off are now viable because of just the the oops, this card actually supports that really, really well and makes it viable now. That's, 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 those are types of cards that I'm, I'm glad we're getting. And what's interesting here is we've almost primarily been talking about cards um, or even strategies and archetypes where it went from being this thing and the game either changed enough to make it more powerful or we've gotten more cards to interact with it and made it more powerful. We've just been discussing that kind of thing. We haven't talked about situations where a new card comes out and an old card just becomes a two-card combo that win the game. Like that's <laughs> yeah. something that yeah. happens very often too. We've not even touched on all the chain of smog kind of effects out there where yeah. Professor Onyx comes down and suddenly you have a you have a two-card combo that makes that a, a valuable card in that deck because you just win when you cast the two of them together. Yeah, Chain of Smog went from 20 decks to 20,000 just because Professor Onyx was printed. <laughs> and that's... I, I mean, maybe that's a little bit of an exaggeration. 15 to 15,000, that's probably more accurate. We had a whole episode about it, actually, where we, we did. measured the, the, the jump from one to the other. And there were a whole bunch of uh, different little combos and things like that. And that's uh, definitely one of the biggest ones. Yeah, and, and that kind of thing is just going to, you know, that will keep happening. If it's like every set we get one of those or every couple sets, at least, where this something old becomes the new hotness because we get a, that, that two-card combo. So, yeah, that that's just constantly going to keep happening as well. But there's also going to be every now and then we're going to get these random creature types that are supported and some old cards going to jump up in, in cost. Sure. Uh, the next time we get a set that cares about minotaurs, didgeridoo is going to jump up another $10. <laughs> Again. But that, th- those types of things happen all the time. Just yeah. Wizards loves to recircle back and, okay, what's a try we haven't done for a little bit? Okay, let's do this. And just it ha- always happens, okay, well, if you have a bird soldier deck, you're going to get a whole lot of love because the newest set had Azorius soldiers. Mm. Like right now, as far as creature types go, you know, slivers by and large are, I wouldn't say solved necessarily, but like folks know for the most part what slivers are going to put in their sliver deck, depending on who the commander is. We're getting a whole new sliver pre-con deck that's going to be coming out in the next six months. We don't know, is that going to have a brand new sliver, five-core sliver commander for the face card? Is there going to be new cards in the deck that interact with slivers? And 
is that going to make some previously underplayed sliver way better than it once was because of some interaction? Like that kind of thing happens regularly, and I, I would wager we will see it with that kind of deck or the Eldrazi deck. You know, if we if we get something that cares about Eldrazi, that kind of thing, the colorless one, mm. we'll see weird cards that, like I said, were were once bad or at the very least infrequently played will suddenly spike up and how popular they are because they get way better. So I, I'm going to take Umbridge with a note that we have in our show notes. I don't know who put it there, but I know it wasn't me. Uh-oh. Uh, somebody said, I feel like Pathbreaker Ibex was overlooked when it came out. Which one of you two put that in there? Because whoever did, you need better friends. <laughs> okay. I, wow. You, you need wow. you need to listen to people who care about combat because that card was I, I, never I, overlooked. I I agree. I think I think Joey put that note in there. I, I agree with Joey that it was overlooked. It just wasn't overlooked by you, Matt. Thank <laughs> you. You have always uh, been a firm believer in Pax, Path Graver Ibex. I I will grant you that you've always been on board <laughs> that card for sure. But I think in the generally speaking, it was there was very much a period there where it was crater who for bust. Yeah. It. it I, I don't remember people being super excited about it, but as soon as I saw it, I remember very vividly thinking, oh, I'm going to kill a lot of people. <laughs> oh, this is this is just the bee's knees. Uh, th- we've gotten more various effects like that ever since, but just you are right, Dana. For a while there, people were just, it was just, okay, did I get Crater Hoof? No. Is this Crater Hoof? No. I don't care about it. So I do agree, but I still stand by my point and my comment of, you just need better friends if you didn't think people thought it was good. Because I swear that card was just bonkers from the start. If you once heard somebody called it a bad crater hoof, don't hang out with that person. Because I have heard it called it bad. I, I gave him a black eye. That's yeah, what just happened. It's not a broken card doesn't mean it's not still crazy powerful. Because it absolutely is. It is the goat. <laughs> as someone oh, say. it absolutely is. I love. I love how I put that note into the show notes, and then I didn't get to talk about it. And it was just <laughs> you guys talking about <laughs> D- it. Dana was. Dana was defending your honor, though, and that's and he did very well. But but so yeah, gentleman of. I remember this being a dollar card when it came out in like 2015 in the Commander 2015 set, and I yeah, feel I like so. people did not pay it a whole lot of mind because that was around the time that Marin was terrorizing the entire format. So uh, a creature that had to wait for its combat effect to actually happen, it was kind of like, uh, you know, whatever. And like nowadays, yeah, it's showing up in nearly 18,000 decks and it's a like 10 to $15 card. It's amazing. And Matt, you may have never overlooked it, but I feel like this is a card that took a while to get the love that it deserves. I'm saying that it deserves okay. love, and, and it always did, but it took a while for people to to realize how much it is. Uh, a, 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 even, even not a crater hoof is still a very good card. <laughs> it, it, I, I appreciate the backhanded comment you're giving the card. It, 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 it did deserve it from the start, yes. All right. Well, I am since, since y'all y'all were like, oh, I'm going to talk about this before Joe. We can. I'm going to move. I'm going to segue into my next one <laughs> quickly as much as I can. Um, it, this, this is a card that I have like mixed feelings about because I think it's a card that has gotten better, and as a result of that, I'm never going to play it. And that's the card Worst Fears, the eight mana sorcery that lets you control target player during their next turn, and you only get to do this once because Worst Fears will exile itself. Um, it's only in like 4,700 decks on EDH Rec right now, uh, but like as. Things have gotten more swingy as later game turns have gotten more and more and more amazingly bombastic. I feel like Worst Fears can genuinely be the card that changes the game, and it takes away one of the most important facets of a person's ability to play. And I'm never going to play this one because, honestly, I feel like it might be like kind of too good nowadays, where things aren't just value engines, they're bombastic late game plays. Worst fears could really clobber an opponent, and that's why I don't want to use it because it seems a little too mean now. I think it's an example of a card where, like, the amount of fat that's been taken out of the game, the like the amount of padding and in in space where you could afford to not accomplish anything, the amount of that has definitely gone down. So as a result of that, the impact of losing your turn has gone way way up. So yeah, no, I I, <laughs> I don't see it very often, but I definitely feel it's way more impactful than it once was for sure. So, so Dana, what you're saying is this card was just hibernating and it was waiting to come out and now it's having its springtime. <laughs> so there, there's no fat, everything's super lean, but also it's fun just to say, uh, well, I didn't kill you. They did. I just made them do it. <laughs> so it's like the original goad yes. when you kind of think about it. 
No, really, I, 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 that's definitely a good example of one where like just the changing face of the game has changed how impactful that card is. Gents, we've been talking a lot about cards that have gotten good, that, that people didn't care about too much, but then eventually they, they came to. Do you have any cards that have been printed recently that in five years people are going to say, wait, nobody played that? Why not? Like, what, what, what do you Ooh. think if you had to forecast what cards are going to, what are we going to talk about on this topic in five years? Interesting. Dana, I think I've got one. Do you mind if I go first? Go for it. Uh, well, I, I ask your permission because you're uh, brilliant with your stealing of segues, but also this is a card that <laughs> you have actually used against me. And uh, it, I, I think it probably would qualify. Um, Dana, you know Indomitable Might, right? <laughs> that, I do. I do indeed. That really annoying green enchantment. Uh, it, you know, it's currently, okay, so it's currently only showing up in about 5,000 decks on EDHREC, which isn't like, no, it's nothing to scoff at, but it's also not necessarily what you'd call a powerhouse. It's a, uh, it is a four mana green enchantment flash. You enchant a creature, the enchanted creature gets plus three, plus three, and the enchanted creature's controller may have it assigned this combat damage as though it wasn't blocked. And the reason that this pops to my mind for your question, Matt, is because of the infecty toxic renaissance that we've been getting recently yeah where there are there are more infecty decks out there so those combat damage getting the combat damage through matters just a little bit more this is the kind of card that i think looks really unassuming but dana has killed with, killed me with it so many times and it's very very good to make sure that yes your creature will be unblocked thank you very very much and if you're putting this onto a thing with infect because the infect decks are getting a bit more support these days i think this would be especially good in in those strategies as well so i could totally see this one fitting uh that description for sure a card that sure. swells up in the future one i like that that i've always been kind of surprised that didn't see a ton of play um and it's just gonna continue i think to be more and more useful is idol of oblivion hmm. um the it feels not recall it's a two-man artifact and you can just tap it to draw a card if you created a token this turn and there's also an eight mana mode that you can sacrifice Idol of Oblivion and make a 10-10 colorless Eldrazi creature token. Um, but generally speaking, for me, the just tap to draw a card for two mana is, or, or, or two mana to cast, it's, it's zero to activate, is so, so useful in a world filled with treasures like we talked about, but not just treasures, blood tokens and all the various creature tokens they make. And, you know, there's still a few things that throw out gold tokens that we get on occasion. Or, you know, food is still something that we see pop up and we're going back to Eldraine here very soon. We just got a bunch of things that make Power Stone tokens. There are just so many things that incidentally make tokens that Idol of Oblivion is a card that just feels like a better Phyrexian arena in so, so many decks that can be ran in any deck because it's colorless. And that feels like the kind of card that down the road people are going to be like, yeah, that's in so many decks. I can't believe that was once not played, but it's it's not played nearly as much as it should be, I don't think. Uh, Dana, it might already be there. It's showing up in 67,000 decks on EDHREC. That, it just feels like one, one of those cards that like took a while for folks to realize it wasn't just the kind of thing you run in a token dedicated deck. There's just token. Every deck is a token deck these days. I, I do like your, your thought process behind that, it, but also, it, yeah, it, people already are playing it and it's, it's sold out half the time on card kingdom. So it, it's, <laughs> it's hard to get a copy because I think people do like it, but I agree. This card just is going to keep getting better and better. So eventually just any deck can run it. And, and actually if your comparison is to Phyrexian arena, I mean, that one is showing up in 144, Four thousand decks. So sure. if if you're saying that this one might uh, be better than the than the Friction Arena out there, um, it's uh, uh, there's certainly a gap there that it could close, and hopefully one day it will. Because yeah, this is a, a definitely a gem. Matt, do you have a pick for a card that you think will rise up in the future? Uh, literally anything from Phyrexia all will be one. <laughs> that whole set is just juiced. Uh, or also anything from Baldur's Gate, because the, also that set is is gas. It feels weird saying that a $12 card, people are going to look back, but all will be one. Is it just that card is wild? Have you read that card? <laughs> because it, you accidentally just make everything just start doming everybody. So yeah, that, that card feels very powerful. So, But if we're going with a card that isn't being played and people don't really pay attention to yet, Mirren's Safe House has a lot of, of not red alarms going off, but hey pay attention, maybe buy a few while they're cheap. Uh, 
as long as Mirren's safe house is on the battlefield, it has activated abilities of all land cards in all graveyards. Ooh. So we keep getting more and more powerful lands that have different abilities that aren't mana abilities. And all of the fact that this is going into all lands in all graveyards, it's not just limited to your own. The more powerful stuff your opponents are playing, the better this gets. So I, I don't know when, but I think this is an if this, or excuse me, I got that backwards. I don't think this is an if. I think this is a when. When are we going to get enough land cards that, you know, you play a demolition field, you blow something up of theirs just so that you have it for yourself now, uh, whether it's being able to draw cards, doing all sorts of different things. So there's a lot of things to like. It's just waiting for your opponents to catch up. And and so, but even then, even if you're just paying three mana and you just get an extra wasteland type of effect, that's not terrible because you can take into your artifacts energies and all that too. So there's a lot of things that I, I see about Mirren safe house. And I think this is in territory of something that the better lands get, the better this card gets. I love this pick. I love this card. Like for mill decks, if you happen to mill an opponent's bounce land mm -hmm. or, or Hey, you mentioned mazes end earlier, right? Yeah. If someone kills your mazes end and they're thinking, ha, I'm safe. Mirren safe house is over here. Like, uh, -uh I can still activate that ability yeah. because it's yeah. in my graveyard. Watch out everybody. Oh yeah. This is a brilliant pick. Definitely. Or a card li literally any of the utility lands Dana plays, <laughs> right. which is like 37 of his 38 lands. All of them. Yeah. Yeah. His entire mana base. <laughs> Yeah, those were very cool. I, I really like that, that looking forward. It's not just about looking back, but also looking forward. And honestly, this was such a refreshing topic to do because I feel like a lot of the time what we hear as the commander format shifts is a lot of discussion about cards that aren't as good anymore like i very often hear that like uh folks talking about acidic slime not being the amazing powerhouse that it used to be and now it's harder to justify in your decks and stuff like that but these are some cards that actually looking back we we did find a lot more uh justification to put them into decks nowadays and that is a, a very fun refreshing positive way to look at the formats changes that i think is a uh, really fun to do so fellas thank you so much for going on this journey because it was really fun to uh, observe all of these gems and how the format has changed in such a cool way over time. Yeah, this was, this was a lot of fun. It's always fun giving credit to cards instead of trying to discredit cards. Yes, agreed. That's, that's what we're here to do is play fun cards. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And also we're here to steal the segue from Joey because that's what we're best <laughs> at. It's just we all have our talents and y'all are... <laughs> we all have our talents. talents. Speaking of which, Dana, where can people find you on the internet? <laughs> taking my outro segues too no no absolutely not i will be the one who says we are officially calling this episode to a close and fellas if our listeners want to find us where is it that they can look at you online matt it starts with you how about you go? That, that's fair well you can find me on the twitters at mathemus 55 m-a-t-h-i-m-u-s-5-5 and don't forget wednesday evenings we are streaming over at twitch.tv slash edh recast where we have guests on every single week. It's always super fun. We're playing a lot of fun cards, cards that you might've been like, oh, this card's so good. And we're like, well, it wasn't always. And so yes, make sure you tune in Wednesday evenings for that too. And Dana, how about you? You can find me on Twitter at Dana Roach and you can find all of us together at patreon.com slash and I'm Joey Schultz, the perpetually stolen from who never gets to segue properly. <laughs> you can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on the onlines, and you can find the cast at EDHRecCast on Facebook, Twitter, all those places. And if you've got a question for us, you can contact us at EDHRecCast at gmail.com. Our thanks go out once again to Chase for assisting me with the post-production of the show. You can find them online at Mana Curves. Listeners, we'll be back at you next week with more data and insights. But until then, remember, EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck. <laughs>